0: Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and Episode 9 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into some of the stories in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm GCI Managing Editor Matt Lowell, joined today by a pair of superintendents whose stories are featured in our August issue. Up first, Tim Campbell, Superintendent at Palm Beach Par 3 in Palm Beach, Florida, whose course is the first featured in a new series in the magazine called Short Course Stories, highlighting some of the short courses, the par threes, the nine holes around the country that provide a different sort of introduction to the game for new players, for younger players, and also for players who maybe are on the end of their careers. Families, all sorts of folks who don't have four or five hours to play a full round of 18 holes on a championship-length course. He's going to talk about some of the differences between short courses and championship-length courses, what he's learned in 15 years working for a town rather than a private club, and the value of balancing personal and work life. My second guest, Matthew Wharton, superintendent at Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte, and our back page columnist, dives into some of that as well, the value of separating work and real life In his August column, Want to Get Away?, he wrote about the value of vacation. He has taken a family vacation to the beach every year for the last decade, and he needs it at this point in his life. He values it, he schedules it, and he encourages you to do the same, especially in 2020, this most trying of years. Matthew Wharton, Tim Campbell, coming up after the break. My first guest on Beyond the Page this month, a name familiar to golf course industry readers if you read every issue. Uh, You may remember him from the January State of the Industry package. Tim Campbell from Palm Beach Par 3 in South Florida. He's the superintendent down there at a beautiful, beautiful course situated right between the Atlantic Ocean and the Intracoastal Waterway. The course actually straddles the A1A. A beautiful place and a place that I really, really want to know how you came there 15 years ago, Tim. But before we get to that, how are you doing? What's going on in South Florida? And have you had a chance to run or bike or
1: swim lately? There's a lot going on. We've been, um, we've had like record months as far as play for June and July because every, everything's so closed down with the pandemic. As far as riding and running, I kind of, um, when the pandemic happened, we st- I slowed down on my swimming, so I haven't swam in a few months, and I've, um, I'm riding and running probably, you know, four hours a week, five hours a week, so I've kind of cut all that in half.
0: I dived right into that without even telling folks that you, before all of the COVID-19 madness started, you were actually training for a... Half Ironman in Tennessee, a 70.3 miler, which is just astounding.
1: Yeah, and pretty much with the COVID, everything has shut down, like all the races. Everything I've had scheduled this year so far has been canceled.
0: It's become a year of base training for, for a lot of us. Yes. You're featured in the August issue in the first of a regular series, Short Course Stories, about short courses, about par threes, about nine-hole courses, just anything that's not a championship-length course because there are so many great ones across this country. And Guy and I really wanted to to highlight Palm Beach par three after we got a chance to get down there in January, see the property. Just incredible. And you've been there about 15 years now. How, in, in all of our conversations over the last eight or so months, I don't think I've ever asked you, how did you get to Palm Beach par three in the first place, and what was it like when you started? Because I know it was before a renovation that you had a few years ago, too.
1: Yes. Um, before I was at the Part 3, I was at a course in Lake Worth called Winston Trails, and Dan Dupree, who used to be at Doral, um, lived on the course, and he would see me out at night working all the time, and he would be like, you need to go home, like, you're, you, work, you work too much. And he eventually started talking to me and told me that I should try to get a job at a city course with benefits, because he knew so many guys that had been in hiring clubs and just didn't save enough money when they got ready to retire. A few years after that, like, the Part 3 came open, and I applied for it, and I left out and got it. And that's pretty much how I ended up being the, or getting the job.
0: So really just being a workaholic, like so many other people in the industry, and having one person look out for you and say, look, you have to take care of yourself, you should do this. Like, that. that's really the whole route?
1: That's pretty much it. I wasn't happy at the the course I was at. I was working crazy hours. It was a low budget with ridiculous expectations. I would see him, like, sometimes it would be a few months apart, sometimes longer, but he would ride his bicycle on my course at night, um, and he would commute to Doral every day from Lake Worth, which is like an hour and a half Hmm. for his job as a superintendent there. And, yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up, like, at a city course. And plus, when I graduated from college – I was hoping to work at a course that was on the ocean, and so it, just, it all kind of fell in place.
0: Well, you couldn't be much closer to the Atlantic where you are right now.
1: Correct. Um, I mean, between the Atlantic and intercoastal, yeah, we, we're um, one of the only courses, maybe the only course in the county that's got holes on both.
0: So you've been at Palm Beach Par 3 for about 15 years now, and you were there for a renovation. That was probably about, what, about 12 years ago now?
1: Yeah, 2008, 2009.
0: So what was the course like when you arrived in in the mid-2000s?
1: When I arrived, it was actually in pretty bad shape. All the greens had some pretty sizable bear spots on it. It was infested with nematodes, and they really didn't have much of a treatment program. So that's pretty much the first thing I, I jumped on when I got there. And we were able to fix that real quick, so it kind of made me look like a hero. It's like something easy to do. <laughs> And then we had a couple of guy, members, uh, town residents who played there regularly, and they came to me and the golf pro and eventually the recreation director, and they started talking about, you know, they wanted to see if they could get residents behind a movement to, like, redo the golf course. And it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: It boggles my mind that this and, – and it is. It's a public course. It, it, it doesn't – like, you drive in, and it doesn't feel like a public course, and we can get to that in a few minutes. But it is a public course. But it boggles my mind that it's this beautiful – Beautiful property that by the time you got there, I think was about forty or forty five years old, and it was in disrepair. That, that, for where it is now, that just doesn't even seem possible.
1: It was just uh, um, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain why it looked like it did when I got there. I, I'm honestly not really sure. I know that when I got there, I I got a new director. They or they just hired a new director, and I just I've always had supportive you know management above me that have giving me, like, the tools and the budget and the things I need to make things happen there.
0: And it was about three years that you were there. What was the process? You said you got a few town regulars uh, to kind of back you up on this and, and to kind of come to your support and uh, we need to do this, we need to do that. You wound up working with Raymond Floyd on that redesign in 2008, 2009. What was that like?
1: It was, it was a good experience. He was, he was really nice. He, he lived on the island. So he came out to the course, he was there pretty regularly. So him and his wife, Maria, they they raised, set up a fundraising drive in the town. So they raised a couple of million dollars toward, to pay for the renovation that like was donated to the golf course. And the town paid the other half of it. So it was like a public-private partnership. And then they did the same thing for the clubhouse renovation a few years later.
0: That is remarkable. I mean, there there can't be that many public courses with such backing that... You can raise that kind of money, and then the town will just chip in the other half. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, it was it's a it's one of the nice things about working there is that we do have strong community support. You know, everybody loves the Part three, and you know, and we we're surrounded by great courses too. But we still we still get a lot of people from private clubs that come and play there.
0: That's one of the things that you talked about in in the last conversation we had, and that's in the story. Uh, Palm Beach Perfection in the August issue, online now and and in your mailbox soon, is that you, uh, I think the exact quote is, I feel like people want us to be up to the standard of the private clubs in the area, and I feel like we're held to a higher standard because of that. I mean, it's a great golf area where you are. Quote, I have some great clubs to the north and the south of me that are private, and I want people to come here and think they're at private club. I want them to look at the conditions and say, wow, we are getting the same thing we would get at the local private club down the street. And walking the 20, not even 2,600 yards of the course, I mean, it is, it, it, you get that private club feel. It's its incredible what you've done there.
1: Thank you. And we do that on both sides of the road. Like, I, I say both sides of the road. The pro shop's on the um, east side and we're on the west side. But, the, you know, the pro shop does the same thing. When we have people coming in and they want them to feel like they're getting the same kind of service that they would at a private club. So it's pretty much the... It's the whole attitude of the town and
0: the club. You've been there so long. You're so entrenched in the property. You know every inch of it. But do you ever think about the differences between what you do, focusing on the minute details of, I think it's a 2,572 yard uh, from the back tee course, compared to if you were on a 7,200 or a 7,500 yard length course, just the differences between short courses and, and championship length courses?
1: yeah i mean i've wondered i mean, I've wondered if it would be like i don't know if you could like I'm pretty focused and lasered in on everything there, and I wonder how that would be different if I was at a bigger course. Would you be able to be as intent and see things as well i mean i think you i think it i think you could very very well do that, but you know not having not having done it yet i I don't know
0: along those same lines do you ever call up other superintendents at par threes or at at nine hole facilities just to kind of compare notes or talk shop essentially on the differences on on stuff that would affect you but not necessarily affect longer courses
1: not really not that much to be honest with you um i would say up the street for me is everglades club and i have you know whenever i've needed advice on something i've I've called peter brooks a lot over the years like because i used to also work at the breakers which is north of him. So I would say that's probably the only person like I've really gone to with stuff like that over the years.
0: And you've been tending to a par three course so much longer than a lot of these others. I mean, this is, this is the trend the last few years, just more and more shorter courses. Cause it's an easier entry point for newer golfers or, or for kids or really for, for older folks at the end of their playing days. And so you've got all these new courses, but You've been there for 15 years at Palm Beach Par 3, and the course, I think, is going to celebrate its 60th anniversary next year. You guys are, are really kind of early adopters and, and trailblazers in, in the short course area, I think.
1: Thank you. Um, it's it's definitely a niche market because you can come out there, you can play in two and a half hours, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't take all day. We're one of the few places around where you can, can walk, and I, I think it's a great way to see the property is to be able to come there and walk.
0: You said you don't talk with a lot of other short course superintendents, but is it something that you've noticed over the last few years, just you know, new courses in Orlando, new courses out west, new courses on the east coast, just this repurposing of land rather than building another longer course, these, these big facilities adding short courses as a way to get a different audience— Is that something you've seen? And and if so, what are your thoughts on just the expansion of that part of the marketplace?
1: I have seen that, and I know I've read it in the industry magazines. We've had a few calls from, like, some local cities that are thinking about putting in part three. Um, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a – because we are a great place for people to come with their family and people that are new to the game to, to learn the game, and I think that's what these facilities are very good at helping. Is people to learn the game, and um, they're not as intimidating as playing a full course.
0: When you get those phone calls from other cities, and I won't ask you to, to divulge who there, but what sort of questions do they ask, and, and how do you answer those?
1: The, the last one, were, they were just asking what our opinion was, if they thought it would be successful in their area. They were asking us for to look at what they were thinking about as far as equipment and acreage and to just things related to the maintenance and then to the pro shop because they had actually asked to meet with our, kind of our whole management team.
0: So it's really, at that point, it's just the granular details. They've made the decision they're going to do this, but they just kind of want the really in-the-weeds details on, on yes. operations. Yes. And I guess that's a good point to ask you this. If folks are listening to this who have a 7,000-yard course and a, a full maintenance crew and all this equipment and just – ways that they, they've operated been ingrained into them. You, you only really know what you know, and you've been there 15 years, but what do you think from your perspective are some of the primary differences between tending to a short course versus tending to those longer courses that might be almost three times your length?
1: One big difference I would I'm going to guess is my equipment probably lasts longer. I mean, I need <laughs> okay. every piece of equipment. Yeah, I mean, I need every piece of equipment that a full-size course does, but and we have it, but we, we don't use it as often, obviously, because we it doesn't take as long to mow fairways. Or, you know, my last club I had forty acres of fairways. Our whole property is thirty six acres, right. um, so it's a that's one difference that I would say. So I would just say like there's differences on like budgeting and probably labor and you know chemicals and things like that and water use. All those things just that would be different because you have a smaller property.
0: What does your average day or if, if that's too specific, what does your average week look like in terms of maintenance, in terms of laying down chemicals and, and spraying chemicals?
1: As far as maintenance goes, like a typical day, I mean, we have a pretty, we have somewhat of a set schedule, but like usually the first thing I do when I get to work in the morning is I will ask my, the, my mechanic and my foreman, which will basically function as my assistants, if they need anything. And if they need anything, I take care of that first. And if there's things that my other employees will need, I'll try to take care of and address that first. Cause like they're probably, they're the most important part of the puzzle, you know, at the golf course, because I need good you know, people from top to bottom to be successful. So I would say that's the first thing I do. As far as chemicals go, we um, fungicides, insecticides like that. We don't really spray on a schedule. We only spray them when we see them cause we're, um, we, you know, we're right there on the ocean. We've got water everywhere, so we're very careful about what we do. Like, like I will mm. tell you, like last night, I was treating mole crickets at seven o'clock with a 25 gallon sprayer, and like we were just spraying in the spots where we have crickets, and with a wand instead of taking a big machine out. So we're we try to we try to be environmentally conscious. Well, we are environmentally conscious, but we um, I try to watch my chemical use as much as I can. Like, it's I do everything I can to not spray. I will say I'll say it that way
0: even after walking the course with you that's not something that I would have necessarily thought but you are so close to two bodies of water that it makes total sense you wouldn't just spray everywhere you would only really spot spray when when and where you need it
1: yeah we we spot spray for mo- for pretty much a year round and then even for during the winter we usually we're out there with weed wands instead of even wow. sprayers which like you just you know you dot the weeds
0: one of the things you mentioned earlier was the reason you came to Palm Beach Par 3 15 years ago was you were working an absurd amount of hours. And a lot of people in this industry do. But I think one of the things that jumped out to me the first time I talked with you for the state of the industry was you don't do that anymore. You work about 40 hours a week. And and during the early days of the pandemic, I think it was even a little less. And you are able to compartmentalize and, and take a little time for yourself, I mean, I have to imagine that that's changed your life so much for the better over the last fifteen years. Just scaling back a little bit,
1: it has. And a few years ago, uh, a former Boston told I needed to get a hobby. But part <laughs> of being able to being able to scale back too is just having like a good team around me. Mm-hmm. Like I've got guys that I can leave the golf course and I can trust, and they'll call me. They'll call me if there's a no problem. But like I said, my phone is always on, so I will. Like, I joke that I'm kind of all – which I am, I'm always on call, but um, I am able to get away from the golf course and just, you know, basically – usually I can do it 40, 40 to 45 hours a week. Wow. Um, obviously we have our long weeks, like when we're air flying and things like that, but um, I think part of it – a big part of that is just having the right team in place That is and just trusting your employees to do the job that, you know, you hired them to do.
0: You don't have an enormous crew, but considering you've got 36 acres – your, your grounds crew, including town employees, is it, I think it's eight, or, or is it about to be nine? You said the last time we talked you're, you're going to get a new employee here in a couple of months.
1: It's it's eight, and it's about to be nine, okay. and that eight, so I have an, an uh, irrigation foreman and a mechanic, and those two guys really are a function as assistants, and then the rest of them are contract employees seven contract employees, which are basically their, their job title is equipment operator, and then I have two town employees, which are the mechanic and the foreman slash irrigation tech.
0: And just in terms of being able to step away to, to take time off, uh, how long have those guys been there that you're able to entrust them with the course while you're out running or out biking or just taking a vacation?
1: Our mechanic, Billy, has been there longer than me. I think he's been with the town clerk to 20 years now. So he knows he knows where everything is and he's seen all the changes, everything. So he's always a great resource and he can fix anything. It, like, it's amazing what he can do. And then scholar has been there, I want to say about six years. He was actually used to work in the bag room and I saw what a hard worker he was. And we when we did the renovation, I asked him if he'd be willing to transfer over to my staff and I had to like fight a little bit with the the golf pro didn't want to give him up, but the, the, <laughs> the director the, at the time, like kind of made it happen for me. So, and so I basically Skylar came in to do the irrigation and we were the first decoder course, I think in Florida or or at least in our, our area. So him and I together kind of learned how to, to work on the decoder system. And it felt like we were actually teaching our distributor too, as much as they were teaching us. So, um, he, both of them are invaluable. Like, I I couldn't do it without them.
0: And to have those two, Billy, your mechanic, again, like you said, they're longer than you, and then to have another guy who, when he comes over to your part of the course, like the very first moment that he's there, he knows he's wanted because literally you and your club pro were fighting over who got him for for his for his work ethic and, and the job that he did I mean that had to be, be a great first moment for him to be like all right they really want me they appreciate me and I haven't even done anything yet
1: right he was uh, well actually what had happened is when we did the renovation they assigned all the pro shop staff over to me to just try to find them stuff to do huh. and like he, I had him out watering trees and stuff and then he started helping in fix irrigation so and that's when I realized what his work ethic was
0: pro shop never should have loaned out anybody. <laughs>
1: they, they, would, they would have still had him <laughs> over there. Well, they were cl- well, they were closing, so uh, you know, because we were doing the renovation. Yeah. So and he was a town employee. He was a part-time town employee at the time. So we were we um, and we needed people to water trees during the renovation. So he was. That's how he kind of came over to my side.
0: You were in such a unique position where you work at a public facility. It's town-owned. It's a legacy institution uh like i said it opened in 1961 i think so 60 years next year and you've mentioned so many times that you get such great support from the management directly above you and and directly above them but in terms of if folks are listening to this they work for private facilities or they work for just anything other than a city-owned town-owned facility what are some of the advantages and disadvantages to your setup would you say?
1: The biggest advantage is, is that, like, I'm just kind of trusted to do my job. Like, I feel like they just hand, to use a, a sports analogy, I feel like they just handed me the ball and let me run with it. And I think that's – I think it's very important to to be successful anywhere that they trust you to just go out and do the job and they're not standing over you. And, luckily, that's kind of like how my management philosophy is all the way down, you know, from my equipment laborers up to, you know, scholar and Billy, my assistants – is, like, I just trust them to do the job, and I feel like that's the way the management is. Like, my department director and all the other managers in town that we deal with.
0: In terms of any drawbacks, I I really haven't heard you ever talk about drawbacks in the times that we've talked over the last year, but is there any potential drawback to having a city-owned facility, a town-owned facility, maybe maybe budget or or anything else?
1: And... I've heard of guys who've had problems with budget, but that's never been a pro- problem for me. I would say learning how to get through city processes mm. can be a challenge. But once you figure out how to make the purchasing work and things like that, it's a lot, a lot easier.
0: I don't know if you ever watched the NBC show Parks and Recreation, but part of what made it so funny was the the humor in local government and, and getting through all of those walls and, and paperwork and I can imagine what you have to deal with at the, the local government level.
1: Yeah. Like we, our IT department, like we have an iPad that we use. We have a decoder. So we have an iPad that Scholar uses to work on it and it broke and we had to get another one. So they, we had to put some kind of software on it. And so we're not allowed to be able to, um, like I used to have it on my, find my iPhone, so if He dropped it on the golf course. We'd be able to find it. So, the way they have it now, we're not allowed to track it like that. If we lose it on the golf course, we have to call them and ask them to try to help us to find it. And I was just like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So so I'm like, I'm going to call you guys on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. to, And you're going to try to look at the map when none of you've ever been at the golf course to try to tell me, you know, find it.
0: Yeah, that just seems like one of those extra unnecessary steps.
1: That's and that's the kind of that's the things I feel like government can do sometimes they can they can it's an extra it's an unnecessary step and they can just slow things up that way instead of just letting people do their jobs yeah.
0: and that's that's at all levels i mean that's not just what you deal with that's anybody who deals with with government I feel like at any level local state federal
1: yeah I would say but that that's the kind of stuff that probably drives me the most about working for because, like I just I just want to be able to get you know, my stuff done and be done with it and not have to depend on someone else to, to, you know, to do it on their timetable.
0: That said, like you mentioned earlier, you are able to just get done what you need to get done. You're given this tremendous autonomy, and I feel like I've said this <laughs> a dozen times in the last half hour, but if folks have not visited Palm Beach Par 3, the next time you're in South Florida, absolutely stop by, play around, You'll be in and out in two and a half, maybe three hours tops. Just a tremendous course that you have managed to build up over the last 15 years, Tim. Thank you. Is there anything else going on at Palm Beach Part 3 that you want to talk about or anything in your personal life, anything you want to pitch that's going on?
1: Um, the newest thing that we have going on, and I think you mentioned it in the articles, was the bees. Um right. And so that, that's been a pretty cool program. They put it, um, they did a story on it in the paper, and I think we just sold out of our first batch of honey. Oh, wow. So we're supposed to get another delivery this week. So that's probably, that's been one of the funnest things that we've done this year. It's been, it's turned out to be really successful.
0: And you have, how many bees do you keep on the property?
1: We have four hives.
0: Okay. So how much honey does four hives produce? Because I know you sell that in the pro shop.
1: I was told it's probably going to be around 300 pounds a year, okay. but it could it could end up being more. It could end up being less. I'm not sure. Just since you know they haven't been in been in a year yet, so we'll we'll know after the first year. But I know that we've already we're supposed to get another delivery next week, and we've already got people calling about it.
0: <laughs> did you get any of the first batch? Did you get to taste any of that honey?
1: I did. I've actually got. I usually uh, Sierra's Bees LLC. That's who comes out and takes care of our bees. She has a bunch of hives on courses throughout the county um she's let us she's let us take it like the wax off of the one of the combs like she's given us that like to taste it so it's yeah it's really good that's awesome yeah
0: and honey of course never spoils if you have honey in your cabinet in your pantry it can literally last thousands of years so even if it's a little bubbled up it's still totally good it won't spoil but your rounds are up i think you mentioned a record june and a record July as well. So congratulations on that, and and that's tremendous.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I think August will end up being a record. And, you know, we were looking at financials at work this morning, and it actually looks like we're going to break even or still make money this year, even with, you know, all the money we lost in April.
0: You were closed for six weeks, and you're going to at least break even for 2020. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, that's what they. we were talking about that this morning. So it's pretty amazing.
0: Well, it's a testament to you and the work that you do. And and obviously there's a lot of other folks on your crew and, and on the restaurant and pro shop side. But that's just, it's a testament to the work that you do there, I think. Thank you. Thank you. He is Tim Campbell, superintendent at Palm Beach Par 3, a gorgeous facility. We don't rate golf courses, but the folks who do and the folks who see a lot more golf courses than we do always put it near the top of the list of short courses around the country. If you're in South Florida, make sure you give them a call, stop by, play around. Tim, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's always great to catch up with you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My second guest today on Beyond the Page, a regular visitor to this podcast, and a regular name and face to readers of Golf Course Industry Magazine. He is America's Greenkeeper. He is the back page columnist in GCI, Matthew Wharton. Matthew, how are you doing? What's going on today, and what have you been up to?
1: Uh,
2: Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So today is Friday. It's about 1245. We finished mowing out the golf course. Uh, We had a half inch of rain last night. We've had cloud cover all morning, so the guys are happy. The guys are getting off work early, and uh, we're looking forward to the weekend, especially with the PGA Championship. So ought all to be fun.
0: And by the time this podcast airs, we will know who wins that event out west, but for right now, we're only a round in, so lots and lots of surprise and intrigue in the weekend ahead. We're talking today not about the PGA Championship or anything going on, out west, but instead about just vacation and taking time off and both the physical and the mental aspect of this. Your column in the August issue, which is online now on the website, really good, really important. If folks haven't read it, they absolutely should. Want to get away is the headline. You took that from the old Southwest Airlines and Snicker slogans. But it It really is an important topic in terms of you said just a minute ago before we started recording superintendents especially, and I feel like it's it's a lot of people in America in general, but especially this industry, folks are so tied to their work, they're so tied to the property. they think that if they go away even for a long weekend, something just awful, just terrible is going to happen while they're gone and they might ultimately lose their job because of it.
2: Exactly. Um, And I'm here to tell you that I felt the same way for a number of years. I mean, I first became a, you know, I got my first head superintendent's position in 2002. And as I said in the column, I never took a vacation until 2011. And it was for those very reasons. I just just assumed it. I had to be there during the summers especially because I've always managed bentgrass, grass and I've always worked in the transition zone and so everyone knows about the the grind uh, memorial day to labor day et cetera, and you you just have this sort of predisposed mindset that well I you know I'm responsible for it and therefore I can't turn my back on it so you you don't take time off and um you, you get really sluggish and you get really fatigued and, and you know, I, I think that's part of the reason why we all refer to it as a grind but I uh, I had an epiphany one year and, and, and decided to do something different and uh, it, it's been a total, total life changer for me and my family
0: These were questions that we asked late last year for the most recent state of the industry survey how many hours a week do you work how many days in a row did you work, and how many days off did you take? And I don't remember exactly what the averages were, but it was somewhere in the vicinity of about 50 to 60 hours a week at least, and I I think the percentage was over half of superintendents who worked at least a month straight every single day, even if it was just coming in on Sundays for a few hours. And the average days off was something like five Five or six. And that's a problem across the country in terms of just lost vacation days, people not taking vacation days. But again, in this industry, you work so hard in the summer that you think you get through Labor Day and, and you can't even take that family vacation because now the kids are back at school and who knows what happens this fall, a completely different year. But you get through that summer, you can't take that summer vacation, and the days are gone. The opportunity is gone to take that refreshing break that you need
2: exactly yeah especially if, if you know families with children uh school aged children you know once the summer's over then then all of a sudden you're like well we can't get away because you know the kids can't miss school um you know of course um and it was that kind of reasoning was was kind of what prompted this my granddaughter was was seven and she's sitting beside me on the sofa at the age of seven at christmas and i'm thinking that's funny it seems like just last year i was feeding you by a bottle you know so it was like <laughs> that time just you know where did all that time go and you know i i told them let's go to the beach and like i said in the column they looked at me like who are you because you know you don't take time off work and i, I thought well let's let's give it a try and we we go. Uh, we went to the beach that first week of August. And uh tell you a funny thing that happened that year. Mm-hmm. I had changed my outgoing message on my cell phone to say that I was away on family vacation. And that if you wanted to leave a message, please do so, and I, I would get back to you at some point. But, if, you know, if this was an emergency or you needed immediate assistance, you know, I gave my assistant's name and my assistant's number. And, um... think it was you know we were gone Saturday to Saturday so it was either that Monday or Tuesday I noticed at one point I had a missed call on the phone and I looked at it and it was a tree service contractor but he didn't leave a voicemail and I just instinctively called him back to see what he needed and you know when he answered you know I told him who it was and why why I was calling back and he goes oh no 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 don't you worry, we got it all under control. You're on vacation. And I said, Yeah, but you called and he goes, Yeah, but I listened to your message. I got in touch with your assistant. You're on vacation. You enjoy your time off, enjoy your vacation, and don't you worry about a thing. We've we've got it under control. And that had never happened before in my life, ever. And probably because prior to that I had never taken a vacation. And it was really just kind of a, an interesting and, and somewhat bizarre experience, a bizarre encounter for me. How I, I, I remember thinking, I was like, "Wow, is, is this, does this this happen to everybody? Is this is, you know, it's like it's like being uh, welcomed into some kind of secret society." You know, it was really it was really bizarre. But, but it, and it's always stayed with me. I, I've never forgotten. You know,
0: and it speaks to just the quality of crew that you have built. Over the decades at CGC, where now you can leave for a week and you know everything is in good hands. You have a tree service come out and your assistant can handle it.
2: Yeah, and you know, the thing is, they've handled a lot in my time away. Um, They, truth be told, they probably don't want me leaving because they're just left wondering what's going to happen this year. That same year, that first vacation, we weren't 30 minutes out of town when my phone rang, and it was one of the assistant golf professionals telling me about the sinkhole that had opened up in the cart path. There had been a big storm overnight, and a drain pipe had failed. Uh, I had to call my equipment manager and uh, get him to, to come up and, and check on things. And, and of course, by the time I got back, it was all the pipe had been repaired, everything was done, it was, it was ready for new asphalt. They they handle it like a champ. I had a lady who lives in a house adjacent to the golf course. We don't have a lot of adjacent property. There's just a couple of holes, and I, I've I've had some previous interactions with a few of these homeowners for for one reason or another. And so this particular lady had my number, and she called. We hadn't even left the house on the on that Saturday morning that a vacation was starting. There had been a thunderstorm and a tree on our side of the fence had fallen over and land it on her carport and damaged the roof and was even a couple of pieces on her car. I had to call my assistant and, you know, put it off on him and he handled it all while I was gone, uh, him and the general manager. So they've, uh, they've had their hands full through the years.
0: And yet, despite all these problems flaring up, these mini disasters, the course is still open. The grass still looks great. You haven't been fired.
2: No, it's, you know, I, honestly, I, I really believe that taking the time to step away and allowing the crew to, to handle it, regardless of what, you, you know, you would you sit here and you kind of plan out and you have your little meeting before you leave to go on vacation and you explain everything and you know here's what i hope you guys will accomplish in the week to come and you would like to think it'll be smooth sailing for them but the reality is i I think they're all better off if there is a little bit of chaos and something unexpected you know how else are they ever going to learn and and so um yeah i i haven't been fired heck i just had a member this past sunday i was i was here this past weekend working you know and i had just finished my my lap my route and I, I pulled over in some shade kind of adjacent to the 10th tee to catch my breath and and a member pulled up to the tee and his playing companions had stopped at the snack bar so he was by himself and you know we were just kind of exchanging pleasantries and then he's like well how are you doing uh, i said well, i'm doing all right and he says, well, I'm just, just making sure with everything going on this year. And I said, oh, well, I appreciate that. I said, no, everything's good. I said, heck, we were just on vacation last week. And he goes, well, good. Good for you. You deserve it. And um, I got to tell you, I mean, that, you know, that, that feels good to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that that the members recognize, you know, how hard you're trying, how hard you're working. And to tell you that you deserve a vacation in the in the middle of the summer. I mean, shoot, we were in a pretty brutal, hot, humid stretch of weather the last four weeks. So um, you know that that makes you feel good to, to know that they're not looking at you saying, "Well, where have you been? You need you should have been here." You know, it's just the opposite. You know, the all those things that you're fearful of, it's been the exact opposite.
0: Well, to hear members say that. You should take time off. That's good to hear. But it's also, again, another sign that in your stead, when you're gone, the club is in very capable hands. You know, you've know, you trained your crew to do what needs to be done if you're gone for seven days, for 168 hours, which really isn't that long in the big scheme.
2: No, you're right. In the overall scheme of things... It's not. And the funny thing is that it, this kind of ties back into a, well, it might have been the column last month. Uh, the older I get, the f- faster time goes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, y- you know, and to be honest with you, with each of us trying to have a week off in the summer, I, you know, I encourage my guys to take time off. Now, everyone's different and unique and has different interests. You know, my f- former assistant, not only did he and his family go to the beach, but they they went to the same beach we did. So he was always like, well, "What what week are you going this year?" So I can plan my my vacation. You know, he's since moved on and, uh, to be a superintendent, but like my current crop of assistants and equipment manager, you know, not everyone's beach folks. Some guys like going to the mountains, and so they they do take time off. I've got a couple of guys there have some time off scheduled here later in August, but, it's, but I want them to take time away. But I think the whole summer goes by faster. Just, okay, well, Matthew's out this week, and you know Eric's going to be out this week, and the weeks just go snapping by, and the next thing you know, the grind is over, and we're happy that fall has arrived, and uh, it, it just keeps
0: the spirits up. What sort of conversations have you had over the last few years with other folks in the industry, whether it's the guys on your own crew or superintendents at other clubs, whether it's in uh, the Southeast or or anywhere else in the country, really, for that matter, about the value of taking time away from the course, just vacation or staycation or whatever it is to just clear your mind and, and rest your body for a few days
2: or a week? I still feel like I'm probably in the minority amongst my peers and and i understand that and everyone's got a unique situation you know if if you're at a smaller budget facility you don't have as large a crew or perhaps you don't even have an assistant i mean i i get it there there are plenty of uh, men and women out there you know that's in charge of a golf course that they've got some circumstances that, you know, extenuating circumstances that it's going to really prohibit their ease to get away in the summer. But, um, for those that always want to, I don't want to use excuse, but for those that have a little concern about their staff, you know, I did say this to somebody once before was either, either you've hired the wrong people or you haven't trained them right. I mean, because if you, if you don't have, faith and trust in in your team to handle it while you're away then i don't think that says as much about your team as it says about about yourself mm-hmm. uh, that's just but that's my opinion
0: and you've always made a point and, and you wrote about this in the column this month again want to get away back page of the august issue of gci you you wrote about even if you are just going to an industry event gis in years past, you would make time to get away from the show, even if it was just to get to another course, play around. You've written in the past about playing rounds um, with your bride, and and it's important. You know, you can't go full bore constantly. You know, you, Ideally, you take total time away, but if you can't take a full vacation, at least when you're away from the club for an industry event or something to just make a little time for yourself, do something that you want to do.
2: Correct. Uh, I told you earlier in this conversation I became a head superintendent in 2002, mm-hmm. so it was the 2003 Golf Industry Show in Atlanta was the first one I, you know, I, I've attended. Everyone since that one in o three and that one in particular, I went by myself. I stayed with a, a college buddy in our last night. I said something to him like, "Hey, you know they're going to be in San Diego next year. Maybe we should take our wives." So my wife accompanied me in 2004 to San Diego, and for the most part has accompanied me to ever since, with a couple of exceptions. So yeah, we always were looking for things to do, and whether it's play golf or or, or sightsee, try to take in, you know, some of the culture of of those destinations. And as far as Orlando goes there were three consecutive times where we rented a house and took the kids and we've done Disney, we've done Universal, we've, we've done all that. and I, I just commuted to and from the convention center and, and met up with them when I could and, and always tried to schedule some free time in the middle of it. But the funny thing is, Matt, was you know, going back to you know, prior to that first beach trip in, in 2011, in my mind... Uh, you know, if, if my wife had looked at me and said, we never go anywhere, I would have said, well, <laughs> what do you mean we never go anywhere? Well, we, you know, because we've been to San Diego, we've been to Atlanta, we've been to New Orleans, we've been to Orlando, with, or Anaheim, and, and I didn't understand from her perspective that that's not a vacation. You know, to her, it's it's uh, it's work. She's just tagging along. Now, you know, she happens to work in the business. She's an office manager here at Calhoun Golf Club, so... But um, it, it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't being fair to her. That that she needed she needed a, a, an opportunity to to get away and just be a mother and a wife and a grandmother and, and not have to worry. And um, I, I'm 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 sorry it took me so long to see it, but I'm glad I finally did.
0: Have you? scheduled out your next vacation or is just the uncertainty of this summer and this year precluding you from, from planning anything formal, whether it's, uh, the 2021 GIS out West or, or a more proper full vacation.
2: Well, we started talking about next year's trip to the beach just as soon as this year's trip to the beach. Um, yeah, we, um, we, we absolutely love it. I mean, it's, you know, to each their own, but I'll read anywhere from two to three books. I read three books this year, and um, we just relax. We mm-hmm. just spend a lot of time relaxing and unwinding and just a slow recharge of the batteries. What
0: did you read this year during that week?
2: This year I read uh, Grey Mountain, by John Grisham. That was a book that was uh, given to me by a friend because the setting, that, the, that story takes place sort of in the rural Appalachian Mountains of, of Virginia, kind of near the Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky border, which is where I'm from. I was born and raised in Castlewood, Virginia, which is kind of in that neck of the woods. And so he, he thought I might enjoy that, which I did. And, and I always try to read at least one thing. Uh, when I'm away, that's just non-golf related. Last year, I read Boys in the Boat, and that book is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read that one, I highly recommend it. Uh, but I, I read a lot of golf stuff. So um, I read uh, The Last Stand of Payne Stewart by Kevin Robbins. It was really good. It was emotional, and um, then I read The um, Caddy for Life. You remember? Tom Watson's former caddy, Bruce Williams, that yes. passed away with Garrick's disease. Yeah, that, Yeah. That's uh John Feinstein wrote that. That too was that was sad, but that was that's really good. I couldn't kinda of surprised it taken me surprised I hadn't read that sooner, to be honest with you.
0: Feinstein and Grisham are two of those writers who they just look at it like a profession. It's it's more profession than art. And like Stephen King, they get in the chair every day, they write every day, and my gosh, are they productive. It, it feels like they have a new book every year, and maybe that's why you didn't get around to that John Feinstein book for so many years, because he comes out with a new book every year, and so does Grisham.
2: Yeah, well, and I, I'm also I'm a prolific re-reader. I've I've been known to take books to the beach that I had re- either I read them in college or maybe I read them four or five years ago, and then I view that trip as an opportunity to read it again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've read the Kingdom of uh, I've read Golf in the Kingdom multiple times, The Kingdom of Shivas Irons, mm-hmm. Bagger Vance, uh, Tommy's Honor, just some of the stories that I really enjoy. I've been, I've been known to take those and just read them again.
0: Well, Golf in the Kingdom, I feel like you could read every year or every couple of years, and probably get something new out of it on every read.
2: You know, when I was in graduate school uh, working for Professor David Chalmers, I accompanied him once on an extension trip, and he had golf in the kingdom on on tape. Hmm. And so we just listened to it, and that was really cool.
0: (laughs) Anything else that you want to talk about the value of getting away or reading in general, always a welcome topic here on the Superintendent Radio Network? or just anything going on at the club or your personal life Matthew
2: I mean life at the club is busy just like everyone else you know everybody I've chatted with talked to uh, it seems like here in North Carolina golf never closed uh-huh. I know it did over a large portion of the country but you know as as golf has returned as as the pandemic has progress through its cycles um i think everyone's doing record rounds uh, i know uh, and we're the same way people are playing a lot of golf and uh we're we're busy so i think that kind of goes back to the the whole point of this conversation today is if there ever was a year where you really needed a, a break from the from the chaos it's it's this year so uh if you haven't done so already, please find a way to make some time for yourself and uh, let everyone know that you're going on vacation and um, let your others handle it. It will be there when you get back. And uh, just make some time for yourself because there's a lot of people counting on you, your family, your friends, your team, your golf course, mental health. I about sums it up.
0: Sound advice, and less than a month now until Labor Day, so the summer winding down, even if you just take a couple days in a tent in the woods, yourself or your family, probably a, a good decision for your mental health for the rest of the year.
2: Oh, no, I mean, it's already August. We're, we're one week deep into August. That went yeah. by quick. I mean, yeah. it's, it's zooming along, Matt.
0: You're telling me. Well, Matthew Wharton's longtime superintendent at the Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte. Always a pleasure to have you on. And again, if you have not already read Matthew's latest column, backpage of Golf Course Industry Magazine, you want to get away. It's what we've been talking about for the last 25 or 30 minutes. Read that one. Read his whole back catalog of columns from the last couple of years. Reach out to him on Twitter. He's always available there. Matthew, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, as always. Y'all take care, and uh, keep running, man. You too. Keep up the great work you're doing. All
0: right? My thanks again to Matthew Wharton, our back page columnist, America's Greenkeeper, and the superintendent at Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte. My thanks to Tim Campbell, superintendent at Palm Beach Par 3 in Palm Beach, Florida. And my thanks to all of you for listening to Beyond the Page and all of our podcasts on the superintendent Radio Network. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Off the Course. In two weeks, Guy Cipriano will be back with another episode of Tartan Talks. And then Beyond the Page will move into its new slot on the first Tuesday of each month, three weeks from today. Until then, have a great day, have a great time on the course. We'll see you soon.